to the J. Kim Show, Hong Kong's first dedicated podcast on investing in Asia. Join us as we survey the land and discover the greatest companies and most profitable investment opportunities in Asia. If this is your first time listening, thank you for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week with the goal of providing actionable insights to you, the listener, with every single episode. And now, on to the show. Hey, podcast listeners, just a quick reminder, my company, Explore Equity Group, will be hosting the Hong Kong Regional Finals for the StartCon pitch for $1 million competition. StartCon is Australia's largest startup and growth event that is taking place at the end of November down in Sydney, and the winner of the grand prize will be awarded a $1 million term sheet from RightClick Capital. So if you're a startup founder, I strongly urge you to apply for a chance to pitch at the Hong Kong event on October 16th at the beautiful Campfire Collaborative Space in Taiku. The winner of the Hong Kong pitch will receive free flights and accommodations, and a chance to pitch on the main stage for the grand prize of $1 million at the end of November down in Sydney. We'll be working with Startup Grand on the event, and in addition to seeing the pitches, you'll also have access to investors and keynote speakers. Also, if you aren't a startup or an entrepreneur, but you're an investor or you're simply interested in the startup ecosystem here in Hong Kong, I also urge you to sign up for the event. For more information, head on over to www.startcon.com forward slash pitch and click on the Hong Kong event page for more information. Okay, let's get on to the show. So I am sitting here with Patrick Nan, who's the CEO and co-founder of QFP International. And we're sitting here at the lovely American Club, which is one of the best views in Hong Kong. Uh, I'm slightly biased, but um, and I see Patrick here a lot because he's also a fellow member. And so this is kind of our hangout. Um, but luckily, we've been able to uh, get steal one of these uh, conference rooms for uh, a short while. So we're going to have our chat here. Patrick, welcome to the show. For the audience listening in that haven't met you or, or heard about you, can you please give us just a little bit of a background introduction of yourself? Thanks, Jay. Um, it's been a while since the last caught up, but uh, it's good to be here. Um, so a bit of background myself. Um, I guess I grew up in Hong Kong and um, I left Hong Kong for England when I was very young. I did all my schooling over in, uh, in the UK. Uh, and I came back to Hong Kong on my first job, actually at Lehman Brothers. Back then, there was a Lehman Brothers. Uh, how things <laughs> have changed, huh? Um, so I've been a banker, investment banker for 16 years or so, um, focusing on you know, equity capital markets and uh, on the capital market side. Um, 16 years of banking after that, I decided to join a corporate in China, um, chasing the China dream just like a lot of people did. Um, and, uh, and I went and moved over to Nanjing and spent two years there. Um, and after that, I joined QFP. Um, QFP, you know, is a mobile payment company from China. Um, we focus on providing on the merchant side with our product and our system so that to enable all the mobile wallets that you've seen in the market, whether it's Smart, Alipay, WeChat Pay, or various other wallets from, you know, uh, from different countries. Um, from China, we expanded into 12 countries right now. Um, our biggest, our largest supporter is Sequoia Capital. Hmm. Um, and, uh, and they have invested in Series A, Series B, and now we're focusing on doing our Series C fundraising right now. Wow. Um, and yes, it's interesting that mobile payment is taking off. In China, it has taken off. But in all Southeast Asia, in rest of Asia, they are only just beginning um, rolling out mobile payment for the local people. 
and we're very privileged and honored to be in each of these countries and uh, and help out you know rolling out the mobile payment for the local people so thanks for the intro and we're gonna we're gonna dive deep into qf pay because i'm 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 excited to hear about uh the exciting things and we're really sitting at a very exciting time in history right now with what's going on uh both in digital uh you know, the internet, digital, and with China, like we're literally at the cusp of like all these uh, bleeding edge technologies and and uh, and economies coming together. Um, just quickly in your background, you know, obviously you were a banker uh, for many years, uh, w- which is where we met. We were colleagues at one point, um, and at some point you decided to say to hell with banking. And uh, and you know, as a former banker myself. Uh, I'm always interested to hear uh, from that standpoint, uh, what was it that, what was sort of the catalyst that pushed you over? Because, you know, we were, when we were talking earlier, it's, it's very difficult uh, for someone, you know, I'm somewhat sympathetic, uh, not for necessarily the right reasons, but that people are stuck within the system of banking. And so for someone to actually come out and break out of that, and you eventually found yourself as an entrepreneur, um, you know, what was the catalyst that pushed you there you know and uh and and why did you decide to do it when you did mm. um a couple of folds and put it this way um i guess number one i've always set myself a goal whether it's career whether it's a personal goals um for me banking has taught me a lot of um has taught me a lot and gave me a lot of exposure i would never had um but I always had this dream of going into China and chasing that China dream of working in China. And after years of doing IPOs, doing fundraising, I guess, you know, it get very repetitive in a sense. And so I had this opportunity and to join one of the conglomerates in China. And, and I just took that chance. And I always say one thing is, you know, um, opportunity does not come every day. Uh, when it presents itself, you have to think quickly Think about the calculating the risk that you're going to take very quickly because this opportunity will go, you know, in, in, in a matter of a second if you don't grasp that chance. And I say, what have I got to lose? Let's go for it. And I did. It sounds like, uh, you know, as, as, as investors, it's, it's very similar to opportunities in the market, only this is like your life, you know? So I, I feel like it's a slightly higher stakes, you know? I mean, if you're investing and you do poorly, at, 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 at most, you'll lose a little bit of money, hopefully, if you're protect, downside protected. But uh, to make a quick life decision like that, it's pretty impressive. I mean, I kudos to you. I definitely wouldn't be able to do something like that. Um, and not for nothing, just going into China, uh, people have tried it since the beginning of time, basically 20 years back when I first heard about people moving over here They've tried and people, individuals, companies, multinationals have gone in and failed and turned around with their tail between their legs and come out. Um, so for you to actually go and do it and, and tackle that challenge is, is, is impressive. So, uh. <laughs> yeah, um, don't get me wrong. I mean, it was not all fun and games as, as people would expect. Um, and I guess I, I take a step back is that I think there's a season for everything in life and there's reason for it. And for me, yes, there was a dream of going into China. But I also think, like you said, right, as an investor or whether as a personal perspective, you there has to be a calculated risk. You need to know what that is and you've got to think very quickly. Um, and I took that risk. Um, but more importantly, I went to China. I was after experience. And having two years of that experience or chasing that experience, um, what one has to learn is that, uh, you know, if you only after good experience, you will always fail because 
chasing experience, it can be good, it can be bad. Having done it two years, my experience has been very volatile. But what I was glad that I did, I gained a lot of experience. You know, going inside, going inside a, a, a Chinese company, sitting among, you know, um, with the top, you know, the chairman, the top senior management of how they do deals, how they do things, are very different from what you see on the outside. Um, moving into a second tier city, I moved to Nanjing. Um, is, uh, is, is also another challenge you know China is not what you think you know the Beijing and Shanghai that is simple and that easy uh, going to a second tier city is, is another level um, but all in all the experience was very very valuable uh, I would not trade that I, even though most of the time is, it has been very tough moving myself into China going to a different culture different corporate environment uh, gone were the days when you were in banking, everything done for you. Going to China, mm. going to second city, uh, tier city, going into a Chinese corporate is another ball game. Um, but I was glad that I did it. And I would say one thing is always go for the experience. Do not just go for the good or bad because it will always have, you know, end up what is bad. So speaking of uh, difficult experiences and hardship, you're not you're you're not one uh, you're not inexperienced in this uh, regard. And here's uh, a little last tidbit of uh, of personal before we get into the uh, to the uh, to the actual company that you're building. Um, but you're uh, a marathon runner, and uh, you know you're uh, modest guys. But I had to bring it up because what you've accomplished is quite uh, is quite outstanding. Um, and I believe you're one of under a hundred people in the world to have. Uh, done a marathon on every continent, all, every seven, each one of the seven continents. So maybe you can talk a little bit about that and uh, and some of the challenges and and uh, extreme uh, difficult experiences that you had there. Um, but I'm sure that you are well worth it right now, right? Yeah. Um, well, number one, I guess I established one thing because people cannot see me. I'm probably the biggest <laughs> marathon runner out there on the on on on, on the continent. Uh, I'm by no means one of those uh, skinny guys. Um, you know, the fittest guys. Um, yes, I have ran a marathon in each of the seven continents uh, and also in North Pole, South Pole. There's a club called Grand Slam Marathon Club. Um, I believe I was the 61st person in the world who have done this. Um, second person from China, second person from Hong Kong who has achieved this uh, Grand Slam Marathon Club. Um, I think at the moment there's about 80-something people who have done this now. Um, so I've, all I know, I've ran 26 marathons full distance um, one thing I, I learned is make sure if you're going to start something you finish it I think running marathon is not so much about for my physical you know health being which is good but I think I was just training my, my mind and just say you know um, and it's really hard every single race it's not like you run all this marathon it's get easier every, every <laughs> race is just as painful as last every time at 25 kilometers 30 kilometers you start swearing at yourself you start screaming why am I doing this no more Patrick but every time you somehow you know you finish you're crossing that you know finishing line it feels really good um, I think the most experienced part the, the, the most uh, interesting experience I had is actually in North Pole we started off with minus uh, 25 degrees, and when we finished, it's minus 41 degrees. Wow. When we ran North Pole, it was, as you know, the geographic north is 90 degrees, right? And uh, we ran on 89 degrees. So we were on the most top northern part of the world. Glad to have been there. <laughs> 
Running 42 degrees in, you know, minus 41 has been quite extreme. Um, and it's freezing cold. I'm not going to say, I'm going to, you know, there's one thing people do ask, what it feels like. Your body <laughs> should never be exposed to minus 41 degrees out there unless you have those super big, you know, you know snow jacket. But we, we cannot because we're running 42 kilometers. Uh, I think that was the toughest marathon I've ever, ever ran on. Uh, I think it's the the physical challenge of the. I mean, even on the ground, it was not even icy. It was very you know very sluggish kind of kind of snow, and uh, it was very difficult. I just I, I I one thing I glad that I said it is that I finished, and I think one tick away, and I think that kind of changed my life perspective, how I do things in life now is that that was the toughest thing I have ever done in my whole life. And when I crossed the finishing line carrying the Hong Kong flag, the China flag, in a way, I had that confidence that I'd never had before. And it said to me, Patrick, there's nothing in the world you cannot do. And every time when I go through a hardship, when I want to give up, I think of that moment when I crossed that finishing line. I say, Patrick, you have conquered the most difficult thing in your life. Now finish it. That's awesome. Yeah, that's that's very uh, inspiring. Um, so thanks for sharing that. That's such a great story. I mean, I, I think that uh, when when you go through adversity uh, and you make it through the other side, it only b- makes you stronger and a better person. And that's where greatness comes from, right? Is from from going through the through the fl- fire and then, or in this case, the ice for you. <laughs> well, well, I had I had a second degree burn on my <laughs> on my feet, right? All my toenails fell wow. out, and the second oh layer of skin. So I'm not gonna go through this uh, this <laughs> stuff with you guys, but uh, it was a good feeling finishing it. Yeah, we'll we'll have to do another uh, a follow up podcast just strictly on your on your running career, uh, racing career. So um, let's use that as a as a pivot point. Let's get into uh, your company. You know, you're 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 building uh, basically. Uh, QF pay. So um, you you mentioned briefly at the beginning what it is. Maybe you, why don't you give us a, a general overview of what the company is, um, and talk us through sort of uh, you know where how it started, where you guys are now. Yeah. Um, and maybe even the going walk us through the user experience. Mm. So there are three founders. I'm one of the three. Uh, I have uh, two other partners, Tim and Molly, who are based in China. I focus on everything outside of China, so all the international markets. As I mentioned from the start, you know, from China, we expanded into 12 other countries right now, uh, in Asia as well as Middle East. Um, in a way, the international market is, is like a startup on its own. Um, going through each country, knocking on the door, try to get connection, talking to the banks, talking to various other partners. Um, it has been a, a, a painful process um, because, I mean, who's going to, you know, listen to you at the beginning? Um, but just like, you know, just like things in life, you just continue, just keep talking and, and hopefully that they, they understand what mobile payment is and they see the future how mobile payment will play out. Uh, what you've seen, you know, over the last couple of years is WeChat, Alipay. Everyone is talking about it because there are more Chinese people who go overseas. Right. And in China, these days, when you go to Beijing, Shanghai, any Guangzhou, all these other places, you actually don't need to carry cash anymore. Right. The whole, you know, ecosystem of mobile payment is so complete that you don't need to carry cash anymore. And because of mobile payment, there's only one drawback of mobile payment. 
right? Is when your bat when your phone <laughs> runs out of battery, that's the only time when you cannot, you know, make payment. Otherwise, even when you don't have an internet connection, you can still make payment, right? Whether you're taking a taxi, whether you're buying a cup of uh, coffee or a bowl of noodles, you are just using QR code, uh, mobile payment, or even a fruit vendor. I saw a fruit vendor in Shenzhen that had a exactly. Uh, yeah, it's an incredible, right. and because of that. For uh, Alipay and WeChat Pay has created this, in a way, a trend, mm -hmm. uh, a payment, a payment trend, and from that point onward, everything exploded. Plus, equipped with you know China, there are so many Chinese tourists out there. In fact, these days, Chinese tourists don't want to be called Chinese tourists; they want to be called traveler. Right. It's more sophisticated. <laughs> um, you know, funny stack that I want to show share with you. There's only 10% of the Chinese population has a Chinese passport. That can go overseas, mm, wow, right? Can you imagine? They're already spending what 100 something, 120 billion US dollars overseas wow. last year, right? Incredible. Just by traveling abroad. Mm -hmm. So you can just imagine um, when they when they go travel. I guess for them, they will want to do something that they're familiar with back at home, sure. right? So WeChat Pay, AliPay um, becomes the norm of payment. Uh, when you go overseas, if the merchants, if the sh coffee shop in Singapore, if uh, a restaurant in uh, Malaysia. Right, they wanna you know they wanna attract more tourists. They just simply enable WeChat Pay as a or AliPay, so that Chinese when they go visit Singapore they can make a payment, and that's how the whole trend started. But then that is representing just Chinese population, because, right. you know, um, for the last couple of years. But what we're seeing right now, every single country, because we are now in twelve countries, so we we work with the largest bank, if not the second largest bank, right, in each country. Now we are rolling out mobile payment system for the local people. So when I go to Thailand, we are working with the largest bank out there right now. Um, when they roll, roll out mobile payment, it's not for the Chinese tourists, even though there's a lot of them. But when they roll out, they roll out for 70 million local Thai people. Hmm. In Malaysia, we're working with you know the second largest bank, one of the largest bank out there too. right? We're rolling out for 30 million local Malaysian. Wow. Reason why I know, because they have now engaged QFP to do this. Right. Wow. So if the banks are going to launch something of this scale, they probably have a blessing from the government. Sure, of number course. One. Number two, internally, they probably have this assessment that mobile payment is here to stay. Mm -hmm. And now they have engaged QF Pay uh, because of our experience, we've been doing this for the last six years. So we will give them not just uh, tried and tested products, ready to go product, but more importantly is, uh, is our experience that comes with it. Right, we help them to set up the operation, help them with the settlement. You know, going through the entire preparation to launch, um, and this is what we offer to our, our our partners and every country we go into. Okay, so just taking a quick step back, I I'm still I, I want to just really clarify for the audience um, the exact sort of uh, maybe and maybe we can do this by walking through the user experience. Like if 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 I was a someone that traveled to Thailand and I wanted to use QF Pay uh, for mobile payment. What is what has to happen? Do I have to download a wallet on my mobile phone, uh, and then the vendor has to have uh, a way to receive the payment? Can you walk us through the, the the very simple level of how your business works? Okay, so Jay, let's just say you know you decided to go to Thailand, mm -hmm. right, Bangkok, right? So Jay, you will need to first download a mobile wallet, the consumer wallet, right? right? This can be WeChat Pay, AliPay. 
Okay. Or it can um, be one of those. <coughs> yeah. Of course, it's, it's what you use. It's just like when you look at mobile payment, it's like a credit card. Right. You, you either use a, a, Visa, a MasterCard, MasterCard, yeah, MasterCard or Visa card, right? So you have obtained a, a mobile wallet. Right. Let's just say you use Alipay. Mm-hmm. Right. You tied up your details, your, your debit card or bank account right. with Alipay. So this is where, because every time when you go spending, money has to come out from your bank account. Right. Right. Okay. So now that you have your Alipay wallet, so next week you're going to uh, Bangkok. Mm-hmm. Right. So at the merchant side, you, let's say you're going to a restaurant, a Thai restaurant in Bangkok, and you want to make payment. And it says Visa, MasterCard accepted here. Exactly, right? Then it means there's no mobile payment. Right. But if you see a WeChat Pay, Alipay logo, that means Alipay is welcome. WeChat Pay users are welcome. Right. So in their shop, they will most likely have a system that provided by uh, QF Pay, right? That will enable them to accept the payment and is through an application we call it the mobile application. It's an app, basically. You can download on iTunes at uh, Google uh, Google Play. Right. Um, and at the merchant end, so um, at the merchant end, when you make payment, Jay, so after finishing a meal, you go to the counter, right? And you make payment. Let's say this is like, you know, 5,000 baht. So the merchant, the cashier the behind the counter will pick up our merchant app, whether it's an iPhone or whether it's a, a, a Android phone with our, our software, the app downloaded onto it, right? Then you just type in 5,000 baht. So we'll turn out, they will scan. So you you at your end on the consumer end, right? Your your mobile wallet, you comes up with a, a QR code and then the cashier will scan your QR code. Uh. Instantaneously, like less than a second, right? And then the payment will be made transaction will be um, done at both ends. The consumer end, you will see a notification say, oh, 5,000 baht, whatever equivalent has been deducted. And at the, at the merchant end, at the cashier, we'll also see 5,000 baht has been accepted. And then QF Pay then gets a percentage of transaction fee off of... Uh... We, charge, we charge the merchants like a, a, a merchant discount rate. We call it the standard called MDR, a percentage, just like credit card does as well. Sure. Right. So every country, the MDR discount rate is different. Uh, de- depends on the type of the merchants, right? Um, it can range from 1% to 2% to 3%. Every country is different. Depends on how mature the market is. So but the initial question that pops to my mind, which I'm sure you get all the time uh, on first blush, is what is stopping Alibaba and Tencent from going out and basically putting their stamp on all these places that you've got, you guys have gone already. You know what I mean? Oh, of course. By, by all means, they all do that. Okay. But they're only, only offering Alipay. Ah. You won't see WeChat Pay because they're a fierce competitor, right? right? So they're I not going to aggregate them together. So what we provide to the merchants is that our, our merchant app can aggregate WeChat Pay, Alipay, and other Asian wallets. And this is what we are focusing on right now, uh, working with all the major wallets. I got it. Okay. So let's just say one day, right? Um, let's turn this around. Let's say, Jay, you own a coffee shop in Bangkok. Your pain point is you, well, the, 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 the most basic thing, you want to take in payment from anybody who walks into your coffee shop, right. whether you are Singaporean, Korean, Japanese, or Hong Kong, right? If you have my system, and I partner with all the major wallets from each country, mm-hmm. that means 
any Singaporean who walks into your shop will be able to make payment using QR code because right. I already partnered with them. Right. But whereas if it's just Alipay, they will give you that system that will only showing right. Alipay only. You right. see where I'm coming from yeah. now, right? So from the, at the end of the day, if you are the coffee shop, would you like to have mine, which I will also have Alipay as well. Right. But I also have 10 other wallets right. from each country. Right versus somebody who's just going to give you or all. ten different terminals that you have to set up exactly, in your shop, right? and this is what we do. I see. Ah, yeah. very clever. Okay, now I'm I'm finally understanding yeah. uh, the value proposition of QFA. Not that I doubted it. I mean, we work very closely. <laughs> we work very closely with Alipay, WeChat Pay. I mean, their model is also you know um, we partner with them and we provide our merchants with Alipay, WeChat Pay as well. But are we go one step behind, uh, well, one step forward, right? We bring other local wallet reputable one that represent the country uh, and we bring them together for example in Thailand we work with Rebeline Pay we work with AirPay that you know that are very large wallet in Thailand so it means one day if the local Thai person using a Rebeline Pay or AirPay wallet when they come to Hong Kong because I also have I focus on all the merchant network I enable and I enable them local Thai person come to Hong Kong and start making payment Thai person going to Japan, Tokyo can also mm-hmm. do the same. Yeah. Japanese people using, you know, a partner wallet, they can come to Hong Kong, they're going to Dubai. Right. Have you heard of Burj Khalifa yes. in Dubai? Yes. The most visited tourism place, right? So at Burj Khalifa, anyone who buy the ticket, right, at the counter, they're using my system as well. Ah, nice. They're using QFP system. So anyone who go in there, so long they're partner with us, right, you can just use... Uh, um, that ticket system and, and buy a ticket and you'll be using QFP. Very cool. Um, what, uh, so let's, let's go down this rabbit hole a little bit further. Um, cryptocurrencies, obviously another question you probably get asked all the time. Uh, you know, they're right now we're very early in this whole blockchain cryptocurrency thing, but one of the, some of the sort of projects are working on is developing, um, you know, the pay, a payment solution where you can basically pay with cryptocurrency and, and, and have it, quickly uh, settled and this sort of thing. Uh, what do you guys have planned in the cryptocurrency realm? I mean, is, is that something you guys are considering? Absolutely. Um, at the end, it's about payment, right? Payment acceptance. Um, we will be working with a, uh, forming a strategic partnership with a crypto payment uh, company. And together, we will start accepting um, the popular tokens, digital tokens, okay. whether it's Bitcoin or EFA. Um, so basically how it works is, so using the same example, right, at uh, Jay, your coffee shop in Bangkok, mm-hmm. let's just say American don't have, um, don't have an Alipay account. They don't have the local wallets, right. but they have Bitcoin. If they want to buy a cup of coffee, they say they walk up to you, uh, Jay, uh, would you take, you know, a Bitcoin for, for a cup of coffee? You say absolutely yes, because the QFP system will allow them um, to accept, you know, crypto payment, right? right? And this is what we going to be our next phase. Gotcha. going into it um, of course not every country will is, is so uh, crypto friendly right now right. Um, but we will be looking to launch in the fourth quarter and certain country like Japan Hong Kong and Thailand um, at certain merchants first um, and get, I guess from your perspective is you a, a coffee shop owner you don't want to take Bitcoin as a, as a settlement right yeah. currency you want fiat currency right so we will also do the you know um, conversion from crypto uh, digital token into Viet currency and settle with you in local currency. Wow. 
That's that's fantastic. Um, so speaking of which, uh, what what uh, in addition to what you just mentioned, what are some of your other uh, forward-looking plans for the rest of the year? Obviously, we're coming up to the tail end here, but and then into 2019, what what are some milestones? You know, you obviously had a huge uh, couple two rounds of of huge uh, financing venture financing from the top VCs, um, and I guess you're working on your Series C at some point. Um, what other strategic milestones do you see in the future in the near future okay just on the financing side uh we are currently doing a crc right now our existing shareholders are very supportive and they are also coming into this round uh the goal is to continue with the international expansion plan as well as to uh, uh to support our china business um so that's on the financing part um on the strategic part we're now launched into 12 countries and i think you know as as a as a startup i think it's good for people to know if you want to grow you you know the country you have to have your own team build your own team on the ground hiring local people and this is why we're raising this 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 round right now uh 12 countries i need to build my own team i have to you know um uh, get the local team and start serving our clients in each country i think this is very important and I'll go at the moment we pray proud ourselves as the most experienced in Asia and we are going to be the largest in Asia hopefully when I when I come back again in 2019 we'll be proudly to tell you 2019 we are the largest in Asia um, and I think what we mentioned earlier is to grow every country right whether it's domestic consumption we're focusing on but we're doing doing overseas payment um, Another part of it is also the crypto payment mm-hmm. part as well. So that will be it's going to be very exciting going forward because now every country will be launching their own mobile payment and we are at the beginning of it and we are helping them to do it. So going forward, it's going to get busier and busier and you're going to see a lot more offering going forward uh, using mobile payment. Right now, it sounds like most of your presence is within Asia, the region of Asia. Do you have plans to expand further to p- perhaps Europe or the U.S.? Uh, maybe capture some of those that the ninety percent of tourists, sorry, Chinese travelers that haven't come out yet, gotten their passports. Yeah, um, there's a couple of things for myself. Um, uh, uh, um, a couple of principles I set myself is if I cannot commit my time to a country, I I would not want to venture into it because I think if you're gonna go to a new country, you need to make sure you spend enough time there. Sure. Otherwise, you won't be seeing what's going on. You don't even know the insights. Um, at this stage right now, we are. All over Asia, we're gonna go into Australia as our next uh, mm. next country as well, right? Uh, we were the first to launch into Dubai in the Middle East, so we're very proud of this. So we want to be the largest in Asia until until we become the largest. Then 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 we're gonna stay focused on it, and then we think about something else. Europe, US. Um, the way I look at it is that Europe is not ready yet for QR code mobile payment. Uh, I think they're still focusing on uh, the NFC the contactless yep. credit card but it's all about you know chicken and egg situation and if everybody in Asia is doing QR code mobile payment I think Europe will wake up to it right. they will eventually in three years time because there will be a lot of European will come to to, 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 to Singapore to Hong Kong hey would you still take credit card <laughs> mm, interesting huh so I think when three years time when they wake up to you know mobile payment hey I have the entire 12 countries now you got to talk to QFP <laughs> and I will enable you guys, you know, to uh, whatever wallet you come out, I have to enable you. Then you can start making payment. Yeah, I mean, the, like the macro backdrop is, 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 is correct, right? I mean, think about what China has achieved. It's basically leapfrogged 
the U.S. and the West, um, and and gone straight from 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 a from a country that was uh, that was that was very closed off 15 years ago to now, people don't even they don't even bother with desktop computers anymore. They all they carry around is this mobile phone, right? So they've leapfrogged the U.S. and and far surpassed them in mobile payments. So um, I think your your prediction is absolutely true. You know, I mean, credit cards are going to be like a floppy disk soon. It's going to be like a relic, right? So <laughs> I mean, I I share this uh, I, I share this experience every time uh, before a presentation. I ask one thing: What's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? Right? You don't kiss your husband. <laughs> you don't kiss your wife. Right? First thing you do: You look at your mobile phone. Yeah. Right. right, and I also shared that I have this very smart client. I said, "No, I kiss my wife every morning." I said, "I don't believe you." And he showed me the picture. I have a screensaver of his wife on his phone <laughs> because that's first thing he do. He checks his phone. Right. Yeah. Um, these days, you don't. Even, I I I can personally cannot remember last time I pick up a newspaper. I hard copy because everything I read is all the news is on the app, CNN app, you know, BBC yeah, right, app, right. and that is going to be the the penetration rate of smartphone going forward. Uh, as it increases, that is just going to give us that 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 um, bullets for mobile payment yeah, yeah. because everything you do will be from your mobile phone. Whether it's payment, whether you're chatting to your friends, right? Whether you read up all the marketing, whether you read them news, everything will from your from from your mobile phone. And I think this is where we are here going to stay here. Absolutely. I mean, I've I've even gone on short business trips with just my phone, like not even a laptop, and and uh, and, and gotten away with it. Um, on the personal side, uh, any marathons coming up that you uh, are training for or have in your sights? Yeah. Marathon, I kind of stopped after achieving this uh, Grand Slam Marathon Club. So I kind of finding a new challenge in life. Um, so that was Ironman. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> Since the marathon isn't hard enough now, you're going to level up. Just to add more, it's a bit of swimming part and a bit of cycling part. Um, it is very addictive. Um and it's very challenging. Um, I, I, I can honestly say in two or three years ago, I could hardly swim, right? Now, if you want to do something, you just get on with it. If you want to set yourself, you want to do Ironman, you better learn how to swim. Uh, and I think it's very rewarding. Uh, it's, it's very challenging and it's very tough. Uh, but I really enjoy it. I think we are all addicted to pain for some at some point. That's right. Um, but I still run marathons just to keep up with the training, just for you know training in between races. Uh, I have a, a number of uh, marathons coming up. Uh, interesting one, one in Sydney. Sydney right. coming up. Okay. And uh, you know we'll see how it goes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, final two questions for you, Patrick. And thanks again for your time and and sharing your story. Uh, it's always good to to do these in person because I I rarely get to do them in person. Most of them are done on the internet, so it, it's a lot of fun. Um, second to last question, which I like to ask uh, most of my guests, is um, uh, a piece of advice. Uh, having you know come up through sort of your background, the banking system. Uh, done a couple of different uh, higher level roles and now being an entrepreneur, building a startup. If you had a piece of advice for someone that may be uh, a younger version of yourself coming through the system um, that, that might help them sort of hack or, or, or shortcut their, their success or actually just figuring out what they want to do maybe, um, what kind of advice would you give? Okay, I think there are two stages. If for those who really want to do a startup, um, make sure you find something that you enjoy. You need to have passion. If you're not passionate in what you do, especially going to a startup, it's not going to work. Mm. Okay, this is number one. Um, number two, for those who are in a startup right now, there's only one piece of advice that I would say. Just do not give up. 
my motto of life is that you start something, you either start, you either don't stand in front of a starting line. If you do, you make sure you finish it. Right. There's no halfway. Mm-hmm. Okay. You start something, you finish it. I don't care what it takes, whether it's 42 kilometers, right? <laughs> whether it's minus 41 degrees. So, and this is, and I think to a lot of entrepreneurs, I mean, you are going to be, it's going to be so painful along the journey and it's very easy to give up. Oh, it's very easy to give up. But you just got to say, you either do it or you don't. If you're going to do it, give it your best shot. Right. And uh, just don't give up. It's too easy. But that's one of the reasons why we are doing all this, you know, um, why we're in startup, isn't it? That's right. Um, starting something is easy. But seeing it to the end, it's going to be very rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. I will say just don't give up and persevere and just get on, get your heads down and, and, and just push through the pain barrier. Awesome. Awesome advice. Uh, thanks for that. Um, the last question is, is basically just where can people find you, follow you, maybe learn a little bit more about QF pay or, or, or follow you personally, connect with you personally. Yeah. Um, you most likely you can see me on the Ironman races or <laughs> nice. the marathon races. So do, do, do say hi. Um, I travel a lot because of 12 countries. Uh, so airport lounges, you may be able to find, find me, <laughs> which I, I've run into you before. Correct. Um, I think, I think I'm on. I'm 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 on. Uh, what's the most the most social media these days? What do people use? LinkedIn is the professional one. I don't know if you're on that. Yeah, yeah I do LinkedIn. Uh, I, really do. I rarely I rarely get on it. You know, the the last time I saw it, so first time I saw the Jay Kim show is actually on LinkedIn, <laughs> and that's a very inspiring story that we shared before. But other than that, I think you know it'd be good to say hi to people. Yeah, uh, sure. On the races, I think it's uh, it's a good way to uh, meeting people. Awesome. Uh, we'll get we'll get all your bio and stuff linked up in the show notes. Thanks again, Patrick. It's such a pleasure to catch up with you. And uh, and we're looking forward to seeing uh, QFP uh, grow and uh, take over the world, man. I'm excited and, um, and I wish you the best of luck. Thank you, Jay. All right. Take care. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. All the show notes and links can be found over at jkimshow.com. Come back often and make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. Don't forget to join us next week for another exciting episode of The J. Kim Show. I'd love to hear your comments. You can find me on Twitter at jkimmer, J-A-Y-K-I-M-M-E-R. See you guys next week. This podcast is brought to you by Hack Your Fitness, the high achiever's guide to getting ripped in under three hours a week. If you're anything like me, you're probably working a full-time job or jobs and trying to find time to balance family life, social life, and last but not least, fitness. Look, I get it. I'm a full-time investor and entrepreneur myself and father of two. So how am I able to stay fit year-round without spending hours and hours in the gym killing myself on the cardio machine? After struggling for the last 15 years trying every workout and diet under the sun, I finally designed a system that allows me to achieve and maintain single-digit body fat for life in under 3 hours a week. Cardio not required. Head on over to hackyour.fitness and download my free 13-page guide that teaches you the simple science behind efficient fitness and smart nutrition and gives you everything you need to know to finally take control of your life. That's hackyour.fitness.